In this study, Israel has a change of heart. They press onward from place to place through Canaan until they come to a dried up well. And once again, God provided water where there was none. But this time, he had them dig for it. And so they did, all while singing praises to God. It's quite a remarkable change in attitude. So what's different about this leg of the journey? Here's Pastor Jim with Walking by Faith. Now let's open our Bibles up to Numbers chapter 21. The Word tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of Christ. And that's what we're here for tonight, amen, that we might grow in our faith, that the Lord might fill us and strengthen us and encourage us. And we know that any time we open up the Word of God, there is great potential for God to work in our hearts. Tonight we're going to, Lord willing, finish Numbers chapter 21. Um, You remember last time we left off in verse 9, and we uh, looked at the extraordinary experience that Israel had with God. Remember, God gave them a great victory as uh, they defeated King Arad, the Canaanite. And remember, uh, Horma was the place of destruction where they had that great victory. And then something happened. Um, they were led, the people of Israel were led to uh, go south out of their way and going to the promised land. And the Bible tells us that they were discouraged. And so much so that they complained against God and Moses. And, um, you know, that was a a characteristic of Israel, wasn't it? They complained a lot about the things of God and his servant Moses. But here we see that they complained against God specifically in the provision that he gave to them with the manna, the bread from heaven. And so as they complained, and um, the Lord brought forth judgment. And remember, the fiery serpents came and bit them, and many died. And then they were convicted of their sin. They came to Moses and essentially confessing that they had sinned, and they asked Moses to intercede for them. And Moses did. He called out to God, and God answered the prayer by sending uh, the bronze serpent being raised up on the pole. And as Israel would look at the pole they would be saved. They would live. And so God brought this judgment. And of course, all of this foreshadows the cross of Jesus Christ, as we looked at last week. But in all of this, as Israel was walking towards the promised land, you and I both know that as we look at Israel, it parallels the Christian life. And for you and I, we had that extraordinary encounter with Jesus when we first came to him and we looked at that cross and we understood we experienced the forgiveness of our sin and praise God hallelujah that our sins are no more in front of God but there's more than just having our sins forgiven God came through Jesus to give us life eternal life and I love John chapter 17 and the high priest prayer In John 17, verse 3, Jesus said, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, 
the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And oftentimes when we think of eternal life, we think of eternity, right? That's true. We have eternal life. We will spend eternity with God. But that eternal life began the very moment we had that encounter with Jesus Christ. It's the life of God that he brings forth to us. And so that is what we're seeing with Israel now. They've had this extraordinary encounter. They've been, in a sense, a time of renewal now. They are ready to hit and uh, to make it to the promised land. In a sense, they were justified at this point. I love the word justified. As we see that in the scriptures, it's a legal term declaring us righteous. I don't know about you, but I don't feel too righteous today. Uh, it must be the cicadas missing. I don't know. <laughs> but brothers and sisters, this is how God sees us. He sees us as righteous. We are in a right standing with God, not based on my own works and own effort, but what God did through his son Jesus Christ by sending him. And we've experienced that, and then we began a journey with our life in God. And essentially, that's what we're seeing here with the Israelites. They have life in God. They have a sense of renewal, and now we pick up in verse 10. Now the sons of Israel moved out and camped at Oboth, and they journeyed from Oboth and camped at Ai-Berim in the wilderness, which is opposite Moab to the east, from where they set out and camped in Wadi Zered. From there they journeyed and camped on the other side of the Arnon, which is in the wilderness that comes out of the border of the Amorites. For the Arnon is the border of Moab between Moab and the Amorites. So we see here that Israel is on the move. They camped, they journeyed, and you have a nice little generic map that we handed out. Very generic. Your homework is to go and fill it in with color, all the different places. And you can put in the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee. But it's really neat to follow the journey that they um, you know, went through. And some of these places that we read right here, we don't even know if they exist. We don't know where some of them are. But that's not the important thing. The important thing the Lord wants us to see is that the Lord was with them. Amen? The Lord was with them. And so we pick up in verse 14 then, Therefore it is said in the book of the wars of the Lord, Waheb and Sufa, and the Wadis of the Arnon, and that slope of the Wadis that extends to the site of Ar, and leans to the border of Moab. And so we have the book of the wars of the Lord. What is it? Well, I don't know either. Um, what we do know, we're not 100% sure, most likely a a journal or a book of the military exploits uh, of Israel, their victories. Um, again, it's a non-inspired book, but interesting that we have it being mentioned here. Again, giving the accounts of spiritual victories or the military victories. And I think it's interesting and, and it's healthy, as the Lord would lead, to keep at least in our mind, if not a written journal of the victories that you experience in the Lord. I'll never forget the very first victory, if you will, when the Lord did something that I couldn't do of, in a, of myself, is after I became a believer, 
the Lord instantaneously took away my potty mouth. And I was a sailor. <laughs> Enough said. But it was gone. It was instant. There was, I could never go two sentences without saying a swear word. God delivered that. It was, you know, there's a lot of things that I had to give him by faith, but that is one that he took from me. And praise God that he took that. And I'm sure you have many, many victories that you are reminded of. And it's good to be reminded because they're spiritual markers. And we can reflect when we go through things and look back at those times that God did indeed intervene and you gave him praise for it. And then when you're in that midst of that current battle, you can look back, well, the Lord delivered me that time. He worked in a special way. And you have more confidence in the Lord. And so this is what this book of the wars of the Lord was or is. And we have no, no history of it or no physical evidence of it. So in verse 16, it says, From there they continued to bear. That is the well where the Lord said to Moses, Assemble the people that I may give them water. Then Israel sang this song, Spring up, O well, sing to it. The well which the leaders sank, which the nobles of the people dug with the scepter and with their staves. And from the wilderness they continued to Matanah. So here we have, as they were journeying with the Lord in faith and obedience, moving towards the promised land, God provided them water. That's nothing new. We've seen God provide them water before, right? From our past studies in Numbers, we know that this was no small thing for when the, when the Lord uh, provided for them as they complained against God and against Moses. You know, you called us into the wilderness that we might die. We want water. We want manna. But do you see what's going on here? There's something new. As God was with them as they were journeying, and he provides them with this water, they're singing praises. There's joy in their heart. Their attitude is different. They praise God for his provision. And notice here that they had to dig. I think that's interesting. Sometimes the Lord works in mighty ways where we don't have to express much faith. And then there's other times he wants us to dig. And I'm reminded what a treasure it is to dig into God's word. We find treasure in God's word. And even in numbers, I remember a few months ago, I mentioned the comment, I think I filled in, um, you know, what, how the Lord was speaking to me through the book of Numbers. And it's like you get a bunch of stares. Numbers speaking to you. But there's so much in the book of Numbers. And we can dig. And I'm, this reminds me with the water then. It reminds me of the conversation Jesus had with the woman at the well. Remember that story, right, in John chapter 4? Uh, remember that, you know, Jesus asked her for a drink, and then she was basically telling him, you know, the well's so deep, and you don't have anything to dip in to get the water. What's... And then he mentions this about living water, and referring to himself, he said in John 4, Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus speaking of himself as the living water. And remember the response of the woman when Jesus told her this. Give me some of that water. When we dig into the word of God, 
we get this living water. And, and it's amazing that, you know, living water, when we think of Jesus, when he gives that to us, it never becomes stagnant. We become stagnant. But as we dig into the word of God and we experience God through his word and we experience giving him praise and, and seeking his strength and, and experiencing, as Peter said, the divine nature of God, experiencing God, we have this living water and it never gets stagnant. Our faith never gets dried up as long as we're in the word of God and we're trusting in him. And, you know, uh, we live in a journey that is filled with fallen nature. <laughs> we need to be encouraged. We need to be reminded that we are not citizens of this earth, but we're citizens of heaven. We need to be reminded we have, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit that empowers us to, to, to live out the Christian life. We're reminded that it's the, the spiritual life in Christ and the gifts of the Spirit that gives power and the dynamic of the church to fulfill its mission and purpose. That's all in the Word of God. And as we dig in it, we have treasure, and He, he fills us with His Word, and then we are living that eternal life. It's a life of faith, rooted in the person and work of Jesus, if the free gift that God has given to us. And so this is Israel. They, they come to this place, and uh, they dig for this water. And notice they didn't even use shovels. They used scepter and with their staves. And they're praising God for it. Just a total different attitude, and that's what faith does. As they had that renewal by you know, confessing their sin after their conviction and God providing for them, they were forgiven and they were walking in the life of faith. And their attitude totally changed. Then we come to verse 19. And from the wilderness they continued to Matanah, and Matanah to Nehalel, and from Nehalel to Bamoth, and from Bamoth to the valley that is the land of Moab, at the top of Pisgah, which overlooks the wasteland. And so here we have Pisgah, a mountain range, and you'll see that on your map. Uh, with an excellent view looking over the wilderness and the promised land, the plains of Moab, the area on the eastern bank of the Jordan River, just north of the Dead Sea. Uh, and from Pisgah, you might remember, this is where Moses was brought to see the promised land. Remember, Moses, uh, his judgment against him for hitting the rock and mis twice and misrepresenting the Lord he was judged for it. But the Lord said that he would let him see the promised land. And it's from this mountain here of Pisgah that he was able to see the promised land. And then in verse 21, it says, Then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, saying, Let me pass through your land. We will not turn off into field or vineyard. We will not drink water from wells. We will go by the king's highway until we have passed through your border. But Sihon would not permit Israel to pass through his border. So Sihon gathered all his people and went out against Israel in the wilderness and came to Jahaz and fought against Israel. So here we are introduced to King Sihon, king of the Amorites, and he refuses passage. He wouldn't allow Moses and Israel to travel the king's highway. And the king's highway was reserved for 
um, you know, those who would go through the land, uh, those who, uh, you, you know, exporting and, and goods and things going on this. And you see on your map, if you had, look on another map, you'll see the distance of the King's Highway. And very normal for uh, people to travel on this highway. But King Sihon says no to Israel. Uh, it would have been very interesting if he would have let them. He could have kept an eye on them. It would have been very easy for them to take care of Israel if they uh, started any commotion. And, but I think that's what God wants us to see. It wasn't Israel that was bringing forth the battle. It was King Sihon. And so now we know um, Israel not looking for trouble, but King Sihon does not allow them to travel on this king's highway. And speaking of digging, we need to dig a little bit to get the full picture of what God wants us to see. So if we turn our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 2, or look at the screen, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 2, verses 24 through 33, and in this we get the picture that God wants us to see here. So beginning in verse 24, we read, Arise, and this is Moses giving the account of what took place in their travels to the promised land. Arise, set out, and pass through the valley of Arnon. Look, I have given Sihon the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and his land into your hand. Begin to take possession and contend with him in battle. This day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you upon the peoples everywhere under the heavens who when they hear the report of you shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. So I sent messengers from the wilderness of Kermoth to Sihon, king of Heshbon, with words of peace, saying, Let me pass through your land. I will travel only on the highway. I will not turn aside to the right or to the left. You will sell me food for money so that I may eat and give me water for money so that I may drink. Only let me pass through on foot. Just as the sons of Esau who live in Seir and the Moabites who live in Ar did for me until I cross over the Jordan and into the land which the Lord our God is giving to us. But Sihon king of Heshbon was not willing for us to pass through his land for the Lord your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate in order to deliver him into your hand as he is today. And the Lord said to me, See, I have begun to deliver Sihon and his land over to you. Begin to occupy that you may possess his land. And so the Lord our God delivered him over to us and we defeated him with his sons and all his people. So we get the full picture, right, uh, of what God did there at this time. And we can say that God is in control. He is sovereign. He is always working to accomplish his plan and purposes, always. And we can claim that in our own lives. In fact, let's do a little bit more digging when we think of God's sovereignty. How about Genesis chapter 15, verses 13 through 16, telling us about the Amorites. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them for 400 years. 
And also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall return here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So in God's infinite wisdom, he is sovereign. He sees all things. He understands when he, God, is going to bring judgment on the Amorites. And it's fascinating as God's plan is being revealed through Israel as they were delivered from Egypt and now they're on their way. They have uh, the promised land in their sights. And who do they come up against? The Amorites. And i got to put myself in Moses' shoes. He knows the word of God. He knew that the Lord was going to give them victory over the Amorites. And what about Exodus 23, verse 23? For only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of the giants. Indeed, his bedstead was at... That's uh, Deuteronomy 3.11. We don't have it? Well, uh, <laughs> Jason's not taking responsibility for that one. Praise the Lord. So in Exodus 23, 23, the Lord basically promises what was going to take place. And we see in all of this, Moses standing on the promises of God. And I love that because you and I, can stand on the promises of God. We need to stand on the promises of God. But where do we find the promises of God? It's not going through Walmart and looking at the magazines, I can tell you that. It's in God's Word. It's in God's Word. As we dig into the Word of God and we treasure God's Word, these promises become a reality. I'm excited when I read in Genesis chapter 15 and be reminded that God knew He was going to judge the Amorites. And I think of the days coming ahead for us of what's going to happen. We can take it to the bank that God's Word is true and we already have victory. We don't have to fear. We stand on the promises of God. And so... We also, we don't want to miss the point here. Another spiritual warfare principle, if you will. Let's not miss this point. Anytime we draw closer to the Lord and we experience victories in the Lord and we're experiencing blessings from God, very likely the, the warfare is going to intensify. It's just going to get harder. And it's just like a cycle. We need to continue to depend on God. And when we don't depend on God and we go through these spiritual battles, it brings forth fear. Do you know what conquers fear? Faith. Faith always conquers fear. Look at verse 24. Then Israel struck him with the edge of the sword and took possession of his land from the Arnon to the Jabbok as far as the sons of Ammon. For the border of the sons of Ammon was Jazer. And Israel took all these cities, and Israel lived in all the cities of the Amorites in Heshbon, in all her villages. Now, see, this is uh, interesting when we read that they took possession of the land. And here, I guess, is another spiritual warfare 
or a claim in victory, after we, we gain a victory in the Lord and we give him praise for it, sometimes there's land to take possession of or reclaiming of things that have been given over to the Lord. It's amazing when God delivers us, when we do fall into sin and we turn away from that sin and we are restored with the Lord, oftentimes we have to reclaim ground that we had turned over to the enemy. And so we see this when they take possession of this land. It's, It's about faith. It's about trusting God and claiming that land that is rightfully theirs because God has given them the land and they're just simply walking out in these promises of God. And if you're here tonight, maybe there's a piece, a a chunk of your life that you need to reclaim the Lord. First, make sure you're having victory in the Lord and the promises of God. You know, one of the tricks of the enemy, obviously, to bring forth fear, but he brings forth doubt. And one of the ways that he plays with our mind, if we're not rooted in the word and rooted in fellowship and rooted in prayer, when he brings that doubt, Oftentimes it's, well, you can't be right with God. You shouldn't go to church because what will they think? Those are all lies from the enemy. Because the Bible says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and willing to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a scripture we can stand on. Amen. John chapter 1, verse 9. Not only... Sin, he he wants to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when the Spirit of God moves our heart and we come before him and we confess, we have to trust by faith, right? At that very moment that we confess, we are forgiven and we move on. That's what happened to Israel. They, They were forgiven. They're moving on. They're walking by faith. And they're gaining victory. Again, just another example of how the Word of God from the book of Numbers and the life of Israel parallels our walk with the Lord. Verse 26, For Heshbon was the city of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who had fought against the former king of Moab and had taken all his land out of his hand as far as the Arnon. Therefore, those who use Proverbs say, Come to Heshbon, Let it be built, so let the city of Sihon be established. For a fire went forth from Heshbon, a flame from the town of Sihon. It devoured Ar of Moab, the dominant heights of the Arnon. Woe to you, O Moab, you are ruined, O people of Kamash. He has given his sons as fugitives and his daughters into captivity, to an Amorite king, Sihon. Now, what is this, a proverb? Well, this is actually um, a famous Amorite proverb praising Sihon for gaining victory over Moab. It's interesting that God would do that. And Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 48, he makes reference to this proverb. But interesting, you look at these first uh, few verses here, we see that Sihon has victory over Moab, and then in verse 30 it says, but we have cast them down, 
Heshbon is ruined as far as Dibon. Then we have laid waste even to Napha, which reaches the Medaba. So I love this because now they were giving praise for Sihon and conquering Moab, and now it's the Israelites claiming, you know, victory over Sihon. And I got to tell you, I, my first thought of reading this is like, yeah. You know, what was Sihon thinking of to go up against mighty God? But I'm also reminded of the flesh. And I reminded, you know, when I played basketball in high school, I was pretty mouthy on the court. Um, you know, all five foot seven of me. And um, that was challenging at times. But, um, you know, it, it's almost like, well, it is. It's, it's praising God here. It's a, a, it's a dig at man and man's way. This, and false gods. Remember Kamasha, the, 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 the god of supplanting, the powerful one. No match for God, the one true living God. But again, I believe it's interesting that God has this in his word. And it's all pointing to him, his power, his mercy, his grace, his plan, his love, all towards his people Israel. Verse 31 then says, Thus Israel lived in the land of the Amorites. And Moses sent to spy out Jazer, and they captured its villages and disposed or dispossessed the Amorites who were there. Then they turned and went up by the way of Bashan, and Og, the king of Bashan, went out with all his people for battle at Edrei. But the Lord said to Moses, Do not fear him, for I have given him into your hand, and all his people and his land you shall do to him as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who lived at Heshbon. And now we need to do a little bit of digging in Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 11, that tells us, for only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of the giants. Indeed, his bedstead was an iron bedstead. It is not in Rabbah of the people of Ammon. Nine cubits is its length and four cubits its width according to the standard cubit. So what's this telling us? Og was tall. <laughs> he was a giant. How much is nine cubits? Well, roughly 13 and a half feet. First round draft pick right there. Four cubits. His bed, his bed, 13 and a half feet. The bed, four cubits, which is six feet. Now, I don't know about you. My bed's not that big. All my beds together aren't that big. This is interesting, though. When you think about giants, you think of about spies being sent out. And you think about, as we go through this, we're looking at faith in God. It's interesting, back in Numbers chapter 13, verses 27 through 33, it says, Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. 
The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants... The descendants of Anak came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Big difference. Bunch of wimps. <laughs> What's the difference? Faith in God. Now, obviously, we know that there was a cleansing throughout Israel. But we also know they weren't just a bunch of robots because they sinned against God. He judged them, and many you know, remained alive. And by faith, they're on this journey to the promised land. The difference was walking in faith. And here we see the Lord appealing to Moses, saying, Do not fear. I have given him into your hand. And before they saw the giants and they were so afraid, they didn't want to go forward. And what did it do? It hindered the promises of God. It hindered Israel from receiving the blessings of God. And when we don't walk in faith and trust in the Lord, we don't experience the blessings that God wants to pour out in us and through us and upon us. People walking in faith, and they were enjoying the fruits of victory. I'm going to close with Romans chapter 4, or excuse me, Romans chapter 15, verses 4 through 7. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now, may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may be with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. When you think about Israel walking and journeying and camping on their way to the, to the promised land, as they were walking in faith now and obedience, it was bringing glory to God. And they were to be a force. And brothers and sisters, as we walk in faith, in this world that is, well... There's a lot of ways we can describe it, but it's fallen. A world that is in rebellion against God. A world that is ever increasingly coming against God's people. How are we to live? We're to live by faith 
and together and one another, loving one another, serving one another, all in uh, serving the Lord, we're, we are a force. A few years ago, uh, several years ago now, I, it was mentioned from our government that the world needs to look out for those end-time Bible-believing Christians. And you know what I said when I heard that? Amen. Amen, because we have God. And as we walk by faith, trusting in Him, not only are we giving praise to the Lord, but there's a bigger picture the world sees. How important it is for us to walk by faith today that the world might see that we are different, that we have light, that we walk with victory. The world is hurting. They need to see the body of Christ walking by faith. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word and the hope that we have in you, Lord, the blessings that that we have in you of eternal life. Lord, we rejoice in all of that. And we pray for one another tonight, God, that we would be walking by faith. And Lord, that when we do stumble and when we do falter and when we lag behind, Lord, you invite us to come to you with open with open arms you do so. And we thank you, Lord, for that grace. Father, we love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about this sermon or about following Christ, you can contact us at cccincinnati.org. Please join us next time as we continue in the book of Numbers. Numbers.